Hello, greetings, good day. My name is Keith Fala, and welcome to another episode of the Pop-Up Filmcast Reanimated. New here? Welcome. Old here? Welcome as well. Where is here, you might ask? Well, the Pop-Up Filmcast Reanimated is a curated version of the original Pop-Up, a show where the co-host with the most, Derek, and myself, along with a rogues gallery of guests, reviewed over 300 movies, all dug out of the bottomless box of movies that was left on my doorstep by the Witches of Destiny. We also reviewed a TV show once, but more on that down the line. We've even done table reads, again, more down the line, and well, for all those who listened last week, Derek probably created over a hundred or so business ventures, and we'll hear more of those down the line as well. This week, we are breathing life back into an episode from July of 2021. The genre was Westerns, and our guest was none other than Phil Rood. Phil is probably our most frequent guest, or at least more than Chris DeVos, which is all that Phil ever cared about. The collaborative efforts on this show even led to Derek and I working with Phil, among others, on Midnight Writers, a short annual podcast we do detailing our adventures in screenwriting via the NYC Midnight Screenwriting Contests. Phil even brought his son Austin along for the ride once. When not hanging with us, of course, Phil co-hosts The Picture Show with Austin and Phil Rude, a father-son film review show. And uh, right now, they're in the middle of their spooky season reviews, so make sure to check them out. Finally, Phil is an amazing artist. You can check out philrude.com to see his work, purchase items, many of those which are inspired by movies uh, that they've reviewed on the picture show. I have a few hanging in my house uh, right now, so uh, I can fully vouch for that. As for this episode, uh, Phil dove right into a very classic Western. The movie's called Time of the Draw. Let's... Uh, Let's get into that right now. It's the pop up film cast. Mel Carter at the same time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Like that, a 21 a, gun salute sort of thing. Yeah. Because I, I mean, I really I love stop motion uh, animation type movies in the first place. Yeah. Who doesn't? Uh, and then this one had, uh, you know, this one had some really good action to it. It had, uh, you know, a good. You know, good twist with Sheriff Dalton being the the bad guy here. It had a great cast of of voices with it, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, I re- I really enjoyed uh, how the whole thing shook out. So, yeah, so that is Small Town Riders from nineteen ninety seven. Uh, Phil, what movie did uh, I send you in the mail? Uh, you sent me Time of the Draw from nineteen ninety one. And uh, this is not stop motion, just traditional live action. Traditional motion. Uh, traditional motion, yes. Uh, real motion on film. Um, but this is a, 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 it starts out as a pretty straightforward Western, actually uh, similar to Small Town Riders. It's a panning shot of the town. Uh, it's a very small frontier town, nothing around it, big wide open spaces, and uh all the buildings, traditional buildings, saloon, you know, church, this and that. There's a big clock tower uh, right in the middle of the town. And everything's lined up in, in perfect rows, even though it's kind of a dirty frontier town. It looks very orderly, very, very clean and put together. And uh, it pans and across the town and then it stops and it zooms in on the justice of the peace office. And, uh, that's the establishing shot. We go inside and we see Sheriff Tom Marshall being played by Kurt Russell. And he is kissing his new bride, Marsha played by Holly Hunter. 
and they've just been married and they turn and they walk out of the justice of the peace office and as they walk out a teenager uh, a young kid runs over and it's it's young christian bale in 1991 this is uh him as a, a teenage actor and he runs up to uh, Sheriff Tom, and he hands him an urgent telegram. Uh, he opens it up, and Marsha asks what it's all about, and if it's, you know, work-related, what couldn't wait. And uh, uh, Tom Marshall is uh, kind of taken aback by reading it, and, and he kind of stares off in the distance, and he starts explaining... That years ago, when he was a, a deputy in Kansas, and uh, uh, he sent a uh, he caught a rustler uh, named Chet Spurlock, and he sent him to prison. And Spurlock has now gotten out, and he is coming to town on the noon train, and he wants Tom to meet him at the train station, and that at twelve oh five they will draw their guns and they will settle this old score once and for all. Uh, the kid, played by Christian Bale, he hears uh, the entire explanation, and as they come out of the flashback, he runs off into the rest of the town. And uh, Martha asks Tom what he's planning to do, and he says, well, I guess I'll have to face him. And uh, she makes a lot of... Um, she makes a lot of arguments about why he shouldn't take the bait and that he can't do it alone and he needs to find some help. And he says that it's uh, part of his duty as a law enforcement officer and that he's going to have to. So uh, they walk off and Tom looks up at the clock tower and it says 1030. So they have just, you know, a little over an hour and a half until until it all goes down. They go to the Western Union office and they talk to the, the telegraph uh, operator and this is a really odd casting choice it, the telegraph operator is played by Dudley Moore uh, and you think it's going to be like this comic relief character because it's Dudley Moore but it's he's trying to play it straight he's using an American accent uh, nothing really works he's just looking like his usual goofy Dudley Moore self um, but they go in there and they talk to him and ask when the the message actually came in and he tells him, and then he holds up a pistol, and he says he's happy to go to the station with him and help him face down the threat. And Tom politely declines, and they walk out and head over to the sheriff's office. And once they're there, Tom pulls out his gun belt, and he leaves his wife with his deputy, played by Woody Harrelson. Uh, again, 91, uh, right around the time he was getting on Cheers. So pretty young Woody Harrelson in this. Uh, he also says he will go to the train station with Tom. And Tom says, no, I'll take care of it myself. Uh, so Tom walks out and he walks through town. And, and on the edge of town, he finds the house of his old friend, Rabbit. And Rabbit is played by Sam Elliott. He's a... He's a, he's a blind old man, and he's sitting on his porch, picking at a banjo. And he hears Tom coming and greets him, even before he gets there, even before he speaks, saying that he can hear the way his boots fall on the ground, and he knows his, his walk, and he knows who it is. So Tom sits down uh, on the porch next to Rabbit, and he asks for pointers in dueling, because 
they have this big conversation where it's revealed that um, that Rabbit <clears throat> was the marshal uh, where they arrested Spurlock. So they work these these crazy uh, big action cow towns in Kansas together, and uh, and while they both saw a lot of action. Tom wasn't a gunfighter, but Rabbit kind of was. He was a, a big quick draw guy. Uh, so at the end of the conversation, Rabbit offers to accompany Tom to the duel. And he says, it'll be perfect. I'm blind. Nobody will suspect me. I can still hear and I can tell where he is and I can still hit what I'm shooting at. It'll be perfect. No one will expect it. It'll take him completely by surprise while he's focused on you. And Tom says, don't be silly, Rabbit. Tricks are for kids, and this is serious <laughs> business. Uh, and I found out later that was uh, the, the studio wanted to have a uh, tie-in with General Mills, so that line had been shoehorned in there. Um, I, well, I'm going to tell you what. I remember uh, the back of the cereal box for this, <clears throat> but we'll, we'll talk about that later. Go ahead. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, we'll come back around to that. I just wanted to, before I forgot about it, mm-hmm. Um so Tom walks away from Rabbit's house and and goes through the town and is trying to make his way back to the sheriff's office. He looks at the clock tower. It's now eleven oh five, just one hour until the duel. The you know the clock's really ticking now. And as he walks through the town, there's just a series of encounters with various townspeople. All of them offer to help. All of them want to show up and back him up, uh, or to simply you know stand on the side and just gun him down as soon as he steps off the train. Uh, most of them are armed. They're, they're happy. They're showing their guns off. They're, they're demonstrating, look, we got guns. We're very happy to come help you out. And all of these townspeople are like cameos of all of these actors of the day. Nicholas Cage, Rob Lowe, Susan Sarandon, John Goodman, Bill Duke is in this. Uh, Julia Roberts, the entire cast of Young Guns, uh, Val Kilmer, Will Smith, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer, and Winona Ryder in drag from the uh, the Triple Chicken <laughs> trilogy. Uh, it's really crazy crossover. Great, great cameo in there. But all these conversations just slowly start to reveal uh, the history of this town and that this town formed a civilian militia uh, shortly after it was founded. You know, they, they put this town together 50 years prior. They put this militia together to protect them from threats. They trained, they hoarded weapons. They passed down this militia mindset to the next generation. But the reality of the whole thing was nothing ever happened in this town. There was no, uh, no crime. There was no big incidents. There was no violence. So for 50 years, they've been sitting on a pile of guns, waiting to use them, and just so certain that they needed them. And nothing had ever happened. This town barely needed a sheriff, much less its own private army. So now that something's happening, they're really stoked, and and they're coming out of the woodwork. Uh, But Tom declines them all, and he's like, this is, you know, super nice of you, but I have to go take care of this myself. And he gets back to the sheriff's office. He comes in. Marsha's loading a forty-five, and she puts it on the desk, and she's got, like, nine other guns laid out there. And she's trying to figure it out which one she should take with him. And she picks up the forty-five. She says, 
This one will do a lot of damage with one shot. Uh, but she picks up a Derringer. She goes, this one will fit in my pocketbook really nice. Uh, which one do you think I should take? And Tom tries to talk her, you know, sense into her and says, you can't come with me. I have to go do this by myself. And uh, she launches into this big speech. Uh, this is Holly Hunter in, in that great way that she, like, goes off, that she goes on a rant with that perfect voice of hers. And she explains to him, gives him this big talk about how they're married now, and she isn't about to send him off to be widowed while she sits at the station and waits to hear the news. Uh, she makes a, a big deal about being married and being partners, and she's now the dignified Marsha Marshall, and she's going to stand by her partner, and they're going to either walk away together or go down shooting together. And Tom finally relents and says, uh, picks up a, a gun off there and says, we'll get you a holster for this. So it's just before noon and they walk out of the sheriff's office over to the train station. And as they're walking, Tom looks back over his shoulder and his deputy uh, steps out of this, the office and starts following them. And they finally get to the train station. They look off in the distance and they see the steam and the smoke from the train on the horizon uh, they see that the train is right on time. And then the deputy shows up and stands behind the marshals and, uh, says he just wanted to show support. And Tom just kind of says, well, okay, fine. You're a, you know, you're a cop. You can be here basically. And then the telegraph operator walks out and he stands behind them and he starts to object, but more and more townspeople start to file in. Uh, it's men, women, it's children, it's all the militia members. They're holding rifles and shotguns, pistols, axes, pitchforks, torches, and uh, one dude has a broadsword. They file in, they occupy every square foot of the depot, and uh, here we get even more cameos. This is, I don't know what lot they filmed this on, but the cast of Saved by the Bell is in, in this scene. Tony Danza, Kirk Cameron is the town preacher. Uh, Pat Morita, Ernie Hudson, Anthony Michael Hall is here. Christopher Lloyd, speaking of Back to the Future 3. Uh, Eddie Van Halen is in there. And uh, the time to make the donuts guy. Uh, it just wanders in. <laughs> I it's, thought uh, I recognized uh, him. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's like right behind uh, Eddie Van Halen. It's really weird. Time to make the donuts. Uh, so the entire population of the town is packed in there. They're locked and loaded. Uh Tom looks to Marsha and says, I think I should say something. And just then the clock strikes noon and the clock tower bells just start ringing over the whole town. So everybody stops um, and, and looks to the train that is pulling up at the station. And, uh, and it, then it just sits there and the clock ticks to 1201 and then to 12.02. And so Tom thinks um, that he should say something again and and that, you know, oh, obviously nobody's here. Um, you know, just disperse and go on home. And then uh, the passenger car opens up and Chet Spurlock steps out onto the platform and Chet Spurlock is played by Willem Dafoe. Uh, perfectly cast Willem Dafoe in this. And he looks at the scene in front of him and the angry mob. And 
you know, kind of calls him out and says, I knew you wouldn't show up alone and have a fair fight. And Tom tries to say, we don't want any violence. We're just showing you that your threat is meaningless here. And then the clock ticks over to 12.04 and uh, Rabbit has counted them incorrectly and he steps out of the crowd. He draws his pistol and he fires in the direction of Chet. He misses completely. The bullet ricochets off one of the train wheels. And it strikes Dudley Moore, the telegraph operator, straight between the eyes and drops him to the ground. And Rabbit says, did I get him? And the guy next to Dudley Moore looks angry at Rabbit and shoots him dead. And then Tom's deputy shoots that guy. And the entire town turns its guns on each other and just starts blazing. They are shooting each other down left and right. Blood is splattering everywhere. Bodies are falling. And in the middle of this, Tom and Marsha are just staring at Chet Spurlock on the platform. All three of them just kind of motionless while all this chaos is going on around them. Um, Chet starts backing up and steps back onto the train. He tips his hat to Tom and then the train takes off and disappears down the track. The camera pulls back to reveal Tom and Marsha surrounded by the most massive amount of carnage imaginable. And their orderly, quiet little town has just been turned into a cesspool of death. And a smash cut to black screen and the closing credits run. That is time of the draw. Cesspool of death. So well, anyway, the, I remember the, the, that's also an album by Witches of Destiny. Witches of Destiny, Cesspool of Death. Mm-hmm. Um, the the tricks back of the cereal box. Remember back in yes. the day, we didn't have phones, and I didn't have a TV in the kitchen or anything like that. So I had to sit there and occupy my time with something. And there was a maze, and it was like lead help blind <laughs> help old blind rabbit reach the tricks rabbit or something like that. So you had to like do a maze with <laughs> like. Uh, with what's his face on there, Sam? Uh, blah, 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 blah. Sam Elliott, yeah. Sam Elliott, yeah, like a little cartoonish version of Sam Elliott at the bottom, and then you have to get him through the maze uh, to make sure you get all the tricks colors along the way, and then you find the rabbit at the end. And that was that was the back of the box. And I dare, I never dared do the maze because then I would have the have it ruined for me the next morning. You know if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, you had to do the maze yeah. every day. Yep, uh, exactly. you, didn't, you don't want to do it in. in with an actual pen or anything. No, heaven forbid yeah. you do it with a pen. That's permanent, man. Yeah. Yeah. Did they give you uh wasn't there like a uh was it like a Tom Marshall badge as well? Yeah, it was a they temporary get... tattoo. Mm, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, it was a little temporary <laughs> tattoo you could uh you know, wet put on like your hand or mm-hmm. I guess on your chest if you really wanted to. But yeah, I did. Yeah, that's right. I, I remember that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of backlash over that. Uh, apparently, General Mills ha- didn't screen the movie before, mm-hmm. uh, you know, doing the the tie-in mm-hmm. promotion. And uh, when they did figure out how insanely violent it was, um, there was a lot of there were a lot of problems. But um, well, I heard that they had watched like the first, you know, half of it, and they saw just how friendly and nice uh, Tom was to everybody. All these people are offering to help him out, that they're all willing to stand by his side. And, I mean, like, over and over again, he is giving them the most respectful thanks, but no thanks. You know, it's just a, like, you know, a little 
you know, he pats him on the shoulder. He's like, no, don't worry about it. I got this. He's such a, like a nice stand-up guy through the whole thing that I think that's probably what they were, you know, they were like, oh, this will be a great tie-in with, with the Trix Rabbit. Right. You know, the, the, well, I mean, you know, Jeremy Mills tied in a bunch of stuff. And the one thing that did stick was the Purple Horseshoe and Lucky Charms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It seemed was... odd at first in the movie, but then once you realize how much General Mills had tied into this, it yeah. made perfect sense. It, it, it did. And, um, yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that. This is a... This is a friendly movie about a frontier neighborhood watch for about half of it, and then then it turns insanely violent. But mm. um, the town you know, if you were going to do guns. a sponsorship with a major motion picture, uh, just watch the whole movie. I, yeah. I think that's the lesson corporate America learned from this. I don't know if a serial has ever tied into a movie that hard before or since. Like I, I know lots of serials have movie tie-ins. And there's even movie-based serials, but I don't think a, a like an established serial line has ever gone that hard in on a movie since then. Yeah, I think. I mean, well, I mean they they got a they got their tagline in the as a line in the movie. You yeah. Know? It, so, yeah, they really kind of bet it all on this, and and it kind of I guess ruined probably serial movie promotions for mm-hmm. a long time. It made everybody take a step back. And you know what's crazy? If you watch it with subtitles. They spell tricks with an X. Really? Yep. <laughs> I'm going to have to check that out now. Yep. The, the other reason I would think General Mills would go in on this is because they probably saw like the list of actors and actresses yeah, in so this many movie. Uh, so many cameos. Oh, the cast uh, of Saved by the Bell is in this. So, I mean, it's got to be okay for kids, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Screech was still a good guy at that time. It's true. And alive as well. Okay, that's too soon. Too soon. Well, not by the um, end of the movie. No, no, not by. That the was end the of first the movie, death no. of Screech. Yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's uh, you know, it's interesting because now I I watched uh, Space Jam: uh, New Legacy. I watched that just last night uh, with my family, and they do a similar thing in this. Uh, I, this isn't a spoiler at all for the movie, but there's like a part where they bring like basically every Warner Brothers property possible into this. And so the entire time, like the big final basketball game that they're playing during it, I'm not paying attention to that. I'm picking out all like the different things, all the little Easter eggs that I'm picking out, all the different Hanna-Barbera characters in the background and other little movie characters that they have scattered throughout that. And that's what I was easily reminded of, of this movie as well. When like they all start showing up there at the end to back him up. Right. And like, you know, as the train is pulling up and they're doing that very slow, like they let the clock go like minute by minute and just they keep panning across this like cast of characters. I'm like, oh, man, there's Nick Cage and oh, there's Dudley Moore. And, oh, that, you know, all, you know, picking out every single person as they go through. Um, I thought it was just it, it reminded me, I was like, man, that's really, really cool. And then all hell breaks loose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That quiet moment where you're just. It's almost like it takes you out of the movie intentionally and shows you all these celebrities, and then it snaps you back into the movie like in a jarring, crazy way. Yeah. That- I mean, I was also lured in by the fact that, you know, not just the fact that he suddenly had like this like armed militia of a city behind him, but I kind of was like, man, he's such a nice guy. When Spurlock shows up, they're probably going to just end up hugging it out. 
they're going to end up figuring out that hey, everything's okay. And, and, you know, we understand why, you know, he, uh, you know, put him away once before and they're going to end up like, you know, a nice firm handshake or a hug or something. And all's going to be good. And then rabbit just, you know, sets the dominoes in motion. Yeah. It takes a hard right away from that. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I can see it is like a misdirection thing. I mean, I guess I should have seen it when like every person who wanted to get in on it seemed to get a little more crazy eyed at the fact that they'd get to use the guns that they had been stockpiling for the last 50 years and had never been able to use. Like each person that they talked to seemed to get a little more, a little more antsy, a little more on edge, wanting to be able to, you know, go to the, you know, go and, and, and open up the big, uh, armory and start just grabbing whatever they could yeah uh, almost salivating a bit at it 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 was it was interesting uh i should but i should have seen that it's probably not going to have a nice friendly ending you should see it but it's one of those movies that is it's only kind of obvious once you know the end you go oh yeah that was really telegraphed and then you know but the first time through you don't maybe pick up all the subtlety of that And and it's it's also I'm it's a it's a cool rewatch when you if you back it up you just watch that like last ten minutes of the movie, uh just to see how they like you know okay so rabbit shoots it hits, uh the telegraph guy the guy next to him shoots rabbit the person you know and and just one by one and just seeing how it bounces back forth back forth back forth and then eventually just each each shot picks up and goes a little faster until it gets into this melee. Of just everyone shooting, and they and then they focus in on, uh, you know, they focus in on Thomas' wife, and just a great camera shot of seeing them in their face. They're still looking at Spurlock, and the bullets are whizzing by behind yeah. them in front, never getting to them, but just like you get the slow motion view of those bullets just flying past them, and they never blink, they never break eye a lot contact like with Spurlock. R two D two. Very much so. Very oh, much wow. so. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know if that's the inspiration, but that's what I thought of. Why mm-hmm. is there yeah, bullets were whizzing past them as they just stood there? Yeah, and and then Spurlock at the end, giving the little tip of the hat, and basically like we didn't have to. I, he didn't have to actually do anything, and he basically ruined uh, Marshall's entire town just by showing up. It's the ultimate revenge. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, like, it, oh, go ahead. Uh, just Willem Dafoe, I think, was perfectly cast in, as that. And, uh, you know, the guy who comes in five minutes in, of screen time has like two lines and uh, kind of steals the whole movie. You know, like, mm-hmm. it's just, just perfect. Choose scenery without hardly saying a word. And, By the way, also props to the uh, to the studio for not including his name in the opening credits anywhere. Yeah, because you're left wondering, you know, the whole time. Also, you're like, "Who's the Spurlock guy? Who is going to be getting off that train?" Like, it's just you know, as the closer and closer you get, you're like, "Man, they've shown you all these other great cameos. Who's it going to be? Like, is it De Niro, Al Pacino? Like, who's going to come stepping off that train uh, and you know, really kind of one up everything here?" And uh, and you get Defoe, and you, you're right. I mean, he's got a few small lines, but it is great. 
Yeah, it's sort of like the the precursor for uh, like what Matt Damon's career has become, where he just does like <laughs> these small uh, cameos where he just shows up at the end of a movie. Yep. And everyone goes, oh, shit, it's Matt Damon. Awesome. Mm-hmm. But he's not credited anywhere. You just didn't know he was coming. And, and there he is. Mm-hmm. Derek, you were starting to say something. Oh, sorry. oh, I just thought every time they they kept they kept cutting back to Dudley Moore's um, with the bullet hole right between his eyes. Like, like there was like some weird. It was like a weird punctuation. I don't know why they wanted to keep showing him, but they did during the shootout. But yeah, every every few shots, it just yeah, was like it just felt like they had to show him over Dudley and over Moore. again. Yeah. Like, we get it; he's dead. It's I mean, I guess maybe to reemphasize like how the whole thing kicked off. I don't know. It wasn't like they wanted to make him like really important, like how they played um, that Christopher Cross song from Arthur over the end credits. Mm-hmm. It, it was just sort of like I don't know if Dud- maybe Dudley Moore was like a producer on this movie, uh, probably something. But it it, it, like it they- has the stink of Dudley Moore over the whole movie. Not like a stink, but you know, it's Dudley Moore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what do you really think, Derek? <laughs> <laughs> I said stink, but I meant more stench. Or no, I meant uh, I don't know. But I meant stank. Yeah, stank. <laughs> the yeah, the funky stank of Dudley Moore. Yeah. Uh, Phil, what kind of review are you going to give this movie? I'm going to give this uh, four out of five dead, overzealous militia members. That's a really good score. Almost perfect. Mm. Almost perfect. This was a this was a good take, and and I did read where like the the producers of this movie, like their original inspiration was like, what if it was high noon but the opposite? So instead of nobody wanting to help him, everybody wanted to help him, and it just ended up uh, jumping off from there. It's a great concept. Uh, it's a great cast, and it mostly executes really well. Uh, it would have got the fifth dead overzealous militia member if um, I don't know the weird the weird like you guys were just talking about the weird focus on Dudley Moore out of nowhere it just seemed like it it threw the balance of the movie off a little bit. Yeah, that's all I could think about at the end was Dudley Moore being dead because it's it, they and they the because as the shots are speeding up the cuts from like angle you know from each of the angles like. Here's a person shooting. Here's a person getting hit. Here's a person shooting. Here's a person getting hit. Here's a person. Dudley Moore. Person shoots. Hit. Shoots. Hit. Dudley Moore. Shoots. Hit. And it just speeds up. Yeah, exponentially um, more. More. Yeah, it's like mm-hmm. the uh, the 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 boat on Willy Wonka, and just uh, kind of like speeding oh, yeah. up. And they have all those. They have all those pictures like flashing on the wall. But this is you watching it, and it's just like shot, hit, shot, hit, Dudley Moore. Shot, hit, shot, hit, Dudley Moore. Shot, hit, shot, hit. It just crazy uh with it but if you um, took lsd and watched that sequence in willy wonka you'd have a wild time a little scary but it would be wild and kind of fun if you did that and then just all you saw was images of dead dudley moore <laughs> i don't know what that would do to you. you you might not come back from that trip yeah that's definitely a bad trip that'd be terrible pop-up film cast reanimated was edited at the pop-up film oy, oy. studios and is a that was great wasn't it production Broadcast is in partnership with the Podfix Network. 
Pop Up Reanimated is executive produced by myself, Keith Gala, and the co-host with the most, Derek Lascock. Music for the show provided by the Dr. Dre of Kansas, Terry Vickroy. The show is sponsored by the Monster Hunters. Go to www.monsterhunters.com to learn more about three guys rewatching a near 60-year-old TV show about a Frankenstein's monster and his grotesque family. We'll be back again in two weeks with another pop-up film classic. Until then, I said good day.